Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. He was the one who told Jesus that if everyone else fails, I'll continue to stand strong, even if I have to go to jail or die. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, he says, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. See, Peter figured he could stand. Solomon tells us in Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Church, be very careful, be very weary of spiritual arrogance that says that might happen to others, but it won't happen to me. It is at the top of the mountain that you have the longest way to fall. When we think we're at our best, we are often at our most vulnerable. When we start seeing ourselves as spiritually strong, it's easy to forget our desperate need for strength found only in Jesus Christ. In today's message, Pastor David warns us against spiritual arrogance. We must remember that we're fallen, imperfect beings, and it is only in Christ that we are made righteous in the eyes of God. Now here's Pastor David with today's message entitled, Diary of a Fall. Right now, we are still in the pre-dawn, the very early times of the morning. And when we look and we understand that here is Peter in a place that he should not ought to have been in. He's in the courtyard of Caiaphas. He's in, in essence, in the enemy's camp. Let me ask you this morning, you ever find yourself in a place where you shouldn't ought to be? Whether that be physically or whether that be mentally, I think every one of us can attest to the fact, been there, done that, got the scars to prove it. And that's where Peter is this morning. Suddenly or maybe purposefully, sometimes we find ourselves in situations that you know that the testimony of your life, the testimony of your faith in Jesus are gonna be put to the test. We know that we shouldn't be there but that's where we are. And perhaps like Peter, our, our own minds, our own processes of thought go into, well, I, I think I can handle this. Or I think I'm different than everybody else that get in this situation. They've fallen, but I'm not gonna fall. Maybe you know others that have fallen in these situations, but you feel that you're the exception to the rule. Then the problem is, folks, we find ourselves just like Peter, even with all of our courage, with all of our strength, with all of our zeal for the things of the Lord, we become totally unprepared for the attacks of Satan. And beloved, he can turn the fire up hotter and hotter and hotter until we, again, cannot stand it. We find ourselves falling. We find ourselves failing in the testimony of our lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. How could that happen? 
How could it happen to me and to you? How can we get ourselves in that kind of a situation where we are denying our Lord Jesus Christ? Or maybe you're among the ones that said, that won't happen to me. That's what Peter declared. There's a lot of lessons that we can get and we can learn from Peter's experiences. Perhaps for many of us this morning, we could actually borrow a phrase from an old Neil Diamond song. Anybody remember Neil Diamond? Okay, I just wanna make sure. I, I know it's like a generation past, but the dude's still singing, okay? Sure, he's only playing casinos now, but uh, he's still popular, okay. The words of a song, one of his songs were, except for the names and a few other changes, if you're talking about me, the story is the same one. And I think we can relate to Peter in that way. Except for the name and a few other changes, the story is the same one. One of the things we know by experience, very rarely are we ever placed in a spot of a possible spiritual crash or a fall that we hadn't taken some wrong steps along the way to get there. And this is where we find Peter this morning. There were these progressive steps, there were these progressive actions that had happened within his life that brought him to that situation of being in that courtyard in that early morning time. And when we look at the situation that Peter finds himself, really the whole event could be summed up in the first four verses that we read this morning. Look at it real quickly with me. Verse 54, having arrested Jesus, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. But note, Peter followed at a distance, number one. Verse 55, now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, number two, Peter sat among them. He's not sitting among the disciples. He's not sitting among the lovers of Jesus. No, he's sitting among a portion of those that had even arrested him that night that are there. These are the enemies of Jesus that he's finding warmth in their campfire. It goes on in verse 56, and a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, this man was also with him. And then here we find it the first time. But this is the fall, guys. This is, this is where it's happening. He's, he's already crashing over the edge. Peter denied knowing him. Following at a distance, sitting among them, denying he'd know them. As clear as these three points are, I actually wanna make four points in my message this morning from these three. How we or how Peter could have ever gotten to that point of denial, to that point of spiritual failure, to that point of a spiritual crash and burn. The four points I wanna make this morning is spiritual arrogance, spiritual apathy, spiritual audacity, and physical proximity. Spiritual arrogance. You can relate that to pride versus humility. Earlier that evening there in the upper room, remember, Peter displayed this great pride rather than humility. He didn't recognize his own weakness because he had too much confidence in his flesh. He had way too much confidence. He was the one who told Jesus that if everyone else fails, I'll continue to stand strong, even if I have to go to jail or die. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, he says, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. 
See, Peter figured he could stand. Solomon tells us in Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Church, be very careful, be very weary of spiritual arrogance that says that might happen to others, but it won't happen to me because then you become a prime target for the enemy. The second point is spiritual apathy. Once they had left the upper room, they, they went over into the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus and all of the disciples there in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then we find that the disciples, and in particular, Peter, James, and John, had been told to pray. Jesus told them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. In essence, he was telling them, pray like your spiritual life depended upon it. And beloved, it does. And the same call for you and I to be people of prayer is to pray because your spiritual life depends upon it. But the disciples fell asleep. That's why I'm calling spiritual apathy. You see, we could almost understand that there was a lot that was going on that night. But one of the things that we find out when we study the, the gospel records is this isn't the first time that these guys fell asleep during a powerful spiritual time. Remember the Mount of Transfiguration and all that was going on, and yet the disciples fell asleep. And oh, by the way, it was the same three guys, Peter, James, and John. Okay, maybe they had narcolepsy, I don't know, but no. I think it was spiritual apathy is what they had. Something was missing in all of this, and I believe what was missing is that they did not have a connection with the eternal importance of the situation. There was an eternal battle that was going on there in the Garden of Gethsemane, and these guys did not have a clue. They were clueless of it. Why? Because they weren't connected in with the importance of that eternal situation. They were too involved in the current and the temporal to see and understand the future and the eternal. And Peter was walking in spiritual apathy, not truly concerned about the reality of the spiritual battles that are raging around them. And beloved, the church can get into that so easily because we live our life day in and day out and everything seems to be running fairly smooth and we are absolutely clueless. The majority of spiritual battles that are going on, the intensity of the spiritual battles. Some of you here this morning, You've come into this place and you've had spiritual battles all week long. I mean, the enemy is raging against you or your family or loved ones. Do you really see it as a spiritual battle? Or do you see it, oh man, it's just stuff going on in my life. You realize that the enemy is trying to take you out of the game? The enemy is trying to knock your feet out from underneath you. Spiritual apathy. Pay attention to what's going on. Thirdly, what I call spiritual audacity. Dictionary.com defines audacity as boldness or daring, especially with confident or arrogant disregard for personal safety, conventional thought, or other restrictions. Did you catch that? Oh, it's boldness or daring. But audacity adds the fact that they're being confident or having arrogant disregard for personal safety, conventional thought, or other restrictions. It's through this spiritual audacity, not spiritual leading, that brought Peter 
to swing that sword that early morning. That wasn't the spirit leading. No, he was just bold and he was just gonna do what he felt needed to be done without any direction, without any leading of the Holy Spirit. I'm sorry, but I've been there. I've done that. And it's not a pleasant thing. And by the way, I don't think my boat is a one-man canoe. Amen? It's probably a huge cruise ship. Peter, we find him continually moving and, and speaking with his own understanding. His boldness actually led to, reckless, to recklessness. His confidence was in his flesh, not in the Holy Spirit. Now here, after the arrest, Matthew, Mark, and Luke each tell us plainly, Peter followed at a distance, and some would support Peter and said, oh, well, at least Peter followed, none of the rest did. But I wanna submit to you that Jesus had told them, look, you guys are gonna be scattered. Meet back up with me in Galilee. He didn't say, come and follow me when they arrest me. He's not being led by the Spirit. He's being led by his own spiritual audacity, thinking that he could do something or be someplace where Jesus had no intention for him to be. I don't know about you, been there, done that. This was his audacity that led him to the fourth place, that physical proximity. Let me ask you this morning, are you where you're supposed to be? Are you where you are supposed to be? Oh, sure, it's Sunday morning, I'm in church, and, and I'm right where I need to be. Okay, that's good, but how about the rest of the week? How about rather than physical, how about also the idea of mental and emotional? Are you where you're supposed to be? Peter was warming himself by the enemy's fire. He wasn't where he was supposed to be. Where was Adam when Eve was being tempted by the serpent? I don't know. Looks to me like I don't think he was where he was supposed to be. We read about King David when he was, before he was king, when he was running from King Saul, he tried to find comfort within the enemy camp of Achish, the king of Gath, and in order to escape, remember, he had to act like an idiot. He had to act like he was insane. He started drooling and banging his head against the gate, and finally Achish said, look, I've got enough fools in my own kingdom. Get him out of here. How foolish we act. We're in the wrong, when we're in the wrong place. Even when David became king, it was during the season when kings went out to war, David found himself in the wrong place at the wrong time, gazing down at Bathsheba. Are you where you're supposed to be, church? Spurgeon tells us that when a servant of Christ, by his own choice, sits with the servants of the wicked, sin and sorrow speedily follow. Psalm 1 tells us, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Are you where you're supposed to be, church? So how do we deal with these things in our own lives? Number one, we no longer walk in spiritual arrogance. We shut that down. We are called to be walking in humility. James 4.10 declares to us, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. That was the lesson that Jesus was teaching every one of the disciples there in the upper room. Humility, to walk in humbleness. Peter himself, Peter, the guy who falls here, later on he writes a couple of great books. In 1 Peter chapter five, he writes that we as believers need to be clothed with 
humility. Why? Because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Don't walk in spiritual arrogance. Walk in humility. Secondly, we're to no longer walk in spiritual apathy. We should not be, as the church of God, spiritual sleepwalkers. We need to be aware of what's going on, of the battles that surround us and surround our loved ones and surround our brothers and sisters in Christ. There are battles that are raging against your soul and I find it very interesting that Peter himself warns us still in 1 Peter chapter five, he writes, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking who he can devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. That guy sitting next to you, that woman next to you or in front of you or behind you, those individuals that you're seated around, those that you're even seated next to, and yes, perhaps even your spouse. There's spiritual battles that are going on that you may not even know about. Maybe even as a spouse, they haven't shared with you the spiritual battles that they're dealing with because they're so intense. Beloved, understand and know spiritual battles happen to every child of God and the more you desire to walk closer to Jesus, the hotter that battle gets because as I said, the enemy will do everything that he can to distract, to detract, to defeat you for the kingdom of God. The Apostle Paul tells the Ephesians in chapter five, he says, you need to wake. Those of you who are asleep, you need to awake, arise from the dead. Christ is gonna give you light so that you can walk circumspectfully, not as fools, but walking as wise, redeeming the time. Why? Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't walk in spiritual arrogance. Walk in humility. Don't walk with spiritual audacity. Wake up and understand, or uh, apathy. Wake up and understand the battle that's around you. And thirdly, don't walk with spiritual audacity. Understand that we need to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. The whole of chapter eight of the book of Romans talks about you and I, the difference between walking in the flesh versus walking in the spirit. Paul tells us in Romans eight, beginning down in verse five, he says, for those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who live according to the spirit, they set their minds on the things of the spirit. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Down in verse 12, he says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit, these are the sons of God not walking in my own flesh, not, not an audacity thinking, I can handle this situation, but falling on our faces before Almighty God and said, Lord, unless you save, we will surely perish. Lord, unless you direct, we'll not go. As Moses told the Lord, Lord, don't send an angel before us. Unless you go with us, we don't even wanna go. Oh, how the church, how we, how all of us should declare that very same thing, Lord, 
You have to lead my life. Lastly, don't find yourself in the wrong physical proximity. Walk in the way of the Lord. Deuteronomy, back way back in the Old Testament, chapter 13, uh, again, the Lord spoke to the people and said, man, if it's your, I don't care if it's your brother, uh, the son of your mother, your son, your daughter, the wife of your bosom, or your friend who is, your, who is as your own soul. If he says, come, let us serve other gods, Deuteronomy says, don't follow him, and oh, by the way, you shall surely kill him, okay? Well, okay, that's Old Testament. I'm not asking you to kill your, 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 any, any friends or anybody. What I am asking is to put to death those thoughts, put to death that attitude, put to death those draws that, that pull you away from walking 100% in Christ. Even Solomon tells us in Proverbs chapter one, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, cast your lot in among us. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your foot from their path, for their feet run to evil. They make haste to shed blood. The apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, and I think we could put in there, and wherever you go, go and do all to the glory of God. He says almost the exact same things to the church of Colossia. In Colossians chapter three, verse 17, he says, whatever you do in word or deed, and again, I think we could easily insert, or wherever you go, you go and you do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Beloved, you and I need to guard ourselves from being in the wrong proximity, the wrong location, whether that's physical, whether that's spiritual, whether that's emotional, guarding your thoughts, taking every thought captive. You and I, as believers in Christ, as part of the great bride of Christ, we need to guard our hearts and watch our steps. Peter went out of that courtyard, yes, in great sorrow because he knew he had failed. He wept bitterly because he knew that he had denied his Lord. But again, the word tells us that as he went out, he wept tears. And I believe the word confirms the fact there were tears of repentance and tears of godly sorrow. And just as Jesus had promised him in the upper room that he would return, he would be restored. And that's the promise that God gives for you and I. You find yourself in a fallen situation, you need to repent. You need to cry out to God and say, Lord, I, I've denied you too long, too often in my life by the actions, by the attitudes, by the things of my life that I'm not giving to you, by following my flesh rather than following your spirit. Lord, I need to come back to you. Restore me in the midst of that. And beloved, you'll be in good company because I don't know of a Christian today that I haven't somewhere along the line stumbled fell and failed the Lord in their life. But when we come in repentance to confess our sins, the word says he's just and he's faithful to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And you know what? The Lord continues to use chipped, stained, and soiled vessels. Amen? Because if he doesn't, this guy would not be standing in front of you this morning. We 
hope that today's edition of The Open Word has been a blessing to you. If you live in the Casa Grande, Arizona area, we want to invite you to join us for worship. The messages that you hear on The Open Word are produced from worship services at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. Maybe the teaching you heard today is exactly what you're looking for in a church. Then please join us. We meet Saturday evenings and twice on Sunday morning, as well as throughout the week. For more information about when we meet for worship, including driving directions, log on to theopenword.com and then follow the link to the church website. Now here's Tracy with some more important information about how you can help support The Open Word. Radio programs like The Open Word are wonderful tools that God uses to advance His kingdom here on earth. And as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. Today's broadcast was professionally produced, and God has given us a vision to see The Open Word expand into other parts of the world. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word? Log on to TheOpenWord.com and simply click on the support option to help us continue to grow. Thanks, Tracy. From all of us here with the production team, we want to say thank you for tuning in, and may God richly bless you.